0: Here's what we've been saying this morning. Let's just take the pressure off today and admit that there's not a perfect family in this church. Which is the reason God gave you this church. To give you a safe place to take the mask off instead of putting them on. Mm -hmm. To confess our sins so that we can pray for each other, mentor each other, walk alongside each other, encourage each other so that we can leave those doors with more hope than we have when we come. Sad to say, more masks are put on on Sunday morning than any other day of the week.
1: Now, I'm going to be honest with you. We didn't share this with the earlier services, but um, that drive on the way to church was actually um, my growing up years. My daddy was a a part-time music minister, worked at a church in Houston, Texas. And, um, well, we had a 35-mile drive to and from church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night for youth time, Tuesdays for WMU. Um, Any extra time that the doors needed to be unlocked, we were usually the ones that would go. And, um, yeah, there were three girls. We were all, um, like, little stair steps. Um, it was back in the day when ministers' families dressed alike. All of their clothes matched, yes. That's and so we all is. looked really good. But I do remember on a regular basis my dad pulling off on the interstate in Houston saying, I will take off my belt. Okay, I mean, um, that's how bad it got sometimes just on the way to church. So, yes. Yeah,
0: Now, in, in all honesty... You never would have seen my family act like that on the way to church because my family never went to church. So as crazy as it sounds, I'd give anything for that memory because at least it would have meant my family was have said it to church. See, sometimes you've got to dig deep to count the blessings. So next Sunday, if you've got young kids and your family is experiencing that, I want somebody to say, Praise God, at least this means we're headed to church.
1: (laughs) Well, and it's coming to that time of year, you know, when some of these, um, you know, young adults are going to be going back home for Thanksgiving and Christmas, and everybody's supposed to be doing family things, and that's when you have to count the blessings too. You know, when everybody is going, I can't think of one thing to be grateful for, while your mom says we're not eating till everybody's grateful. You know, at Thanksgiving <laughs> a, table, um, yes. yes, make sure that you're looking for those things. Yes. think about them ahead of time. It's a good idea, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, sometimes we do have to dig deep to count the blessings, but there is a blessing there because God created every family that we've got. Right. Now, Debbie and I, we found out that we were from completely different kinds of families when we were. Dating, and she would tell me about her families. But I knew without a doubt we were from two different kinds of families. The first time I went to her family's house for a Sunday lunch, yes, we shared this with the youth last night. How many of the um, youth that are in here were there last night? Anybody that was there last night? Okay, so there's just just,
1: just a few. few. Okay, so um, we just wanted to share this so that you'll kind of know our backgrounds are from totally different ends of the spectrum. I thought that my family was pretty normal. Uh, My family, when Jeff came over for lunch that day, we were going to do what normal families did. Because we did all kinds of things together as a family because that was normal. We ate breakfast And dinner almost every single day together. Um, We cooked at home. We ate at the table. um, We played board games together. Um, You can spell that however you want. But um, (laughs) yes, we spent a lot of time together as a family. Um, But you were there for lunch. Uh And my mom said, hey, Debbie, since you're home from college, why don't you choose? Are you going to say or sing the blessing? Because there's a lot of normalcy in this. You know, um, all families, first of all, you have to pray before every meal. Or, as my grandfather said, someone will choke to death, right? Okay, this is a rule in our house. You have to, have to pray, and you must take turns praying. Um, and in our house, we could say or sing the blessing. Yeah. So, now, let me
0: set the stage. The youngest person in our family at this point is her younger sister who's 16 years old at the time. Okay? I, I
1: don't know why that matters. But, they'll um, understand. Okay, but, you know, um, I just said, well, why don't we sing it? And so we did other normal family things. We yeah. stood up, held hands, bowed heads, and sang. Oh, the Lord is good to me, and so I thank the Lord for giving me the things I need, the sun and the rain and the apple seed, the Lord is good to me, amen.
0: And I'm thinking the Beaver Cleaver family is alive and well.
1: It was normal for us. It was
0: nowhere near the neighborhood of normal for me. (laughs) I mean, my family, we never prayed together. I mean, we might say some silent prayer like, Lord, help me survive whatever mom tried to cook tonight, because my mom's maiden name was Burnett and she tried to live up to that. Whenever she tried to cook, it was a burnt offering to the Lord. Um, But we certainly never held hands and prayed together, and we never, ever, ever sang like a Johnny Appleseed praise song like that. (laughs) And so it just was, I was like, wow, this is completely different. Uh, The first time we went to a family reunion, um, we were leaving, and I was like, Okay, baby, I didn't understand half of what your family said all day long. I know every husband in here is going, I'm with you, dude. I don't understand half (laughs) of what my wife family says either. But this is like more than that. They had several phrases. One in particular, I had to ask Debbie what it meant. It came up in a lot of conversations. It was this phrase, a heritage of faithfulness.
1: It it actually made me sad that he had to ask me what it meant on the way home. He was like, "What, what, what is this heritage of faithfulness they kept talking about? I said, well, baby, it's it's when families, they all believe in God, and like um, you pray for each other, and it's not just like everybody in the family goes to church, but um, they've all seen God be faithful to answer prayers, to heal them. We pray for each other. We see God provide for each other, um, and it's like for generations, and our aunts and uncles and grandparents, and I mean... And I realized, not just in that moment, but especially as we've traveled and more and more, that those of us who do have a heritage of faithfulness need to be so grateful because we are in the very small minority, even in our churches today. And so I'm really grateful that I had that, but Jeff had no idea what that meant.
0: I mean, it really was like in the Old Testament where they tell the parents to pass down the stories to their children and grandchildren of God's faithfulness. It really was, I saw that happen at their family reunions. Now, when my family, when she came to my family reunions, we have our phrases, too, that are repeated mm-hmm. a lot. I can't repeat most of those for you now. Um, <laughs> not appropriate. Yeah, uh, a lot of the words, we, uh, one word that comes up a lot is alcoholism. That comes up a lot. Um, breaking the cycle, that's a phrase that's yes. used quite a bit.
1: Passing on baggage. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. that's
0: uh, said quite a bit. Um, There's six generations of alcoholism that I know of in a row before uh, mine. My dad was an alcoholic. My grandmother was an alcoholic. My great-grandfather was an alcoholic. And so we've traced back at least six generations in a row. Um, And so um, now here's what's interesting is the one thing that we both have in common with our families is if you were to ask either family uh, about our religious affiliation, both families would say we're Christian families. Although I'm the only person in my family, other than my mom's mom who has passed away, that, goes to, that even goes to church. But without hesitation, everybody in my family would tell you we're a Christian family. The difference is where Christ is placed in our family. In our family, he's just a label as a, Christian, as a religious affiliation. In her family, so in our family, he's a part of family life. Part of it. In her family, he's at the heart of family life. Everything revolves around Jesus. In our family, it's almost like Jesus has to revolve around us.
1: I want to be able to say, though, and I think because maybe of the more um, prevalent age that's here today during this service, I want to tell you that no matter which end of the spectrum you're on, it may even be further out than that. Um, um, Jeff and I are both from families who our parents have both stayed together for the long haul. My parents, in a very good, positive way, Jeff's parents just hanging on by a thread for years. Um, They told us when they hit um, 40 years of marriage that they were not going to get divorced, because they were too tired to split up their stuff, yeah. and um, yes, it's a very but, uh,
0: inspiring okay. conversation. Um,
1: and you would have laughed, but it wasn't funny to them. Yes, so yes. Um, yes, so that's the kind of you know marriage that he had to look at growing up. And I want to tell you that if you want a different picture and a different tra- um, trajectory for the next generation, God can help give that to you. Because uh, my my husband is the best husband and the best father that I know but he had no picture of what that looked like growing up. Some of you sitting there are thinking, I don't know how to make a marriage work. I've never seen one work in my own family growing up. I have no idea how to do that. And so it's important for us to realize that God can, God can change all that. God can give you new pictures. But it means that some of you need to realize that, well, maybe the choices I'm making right now aren't going to lead me to better things. Maybe I'm just going to be stuck in this because I'm choosing to make choices to to just keep doing the same thing over and over again that's been handed down.
0: I mean, but here's the hope in that. You do have a choice. That's right. I did have a choice. I mean, I would have to go to these Al-Anon meetings uh, while my dad was in his AA meetings. And um, the one thing that I did learn there was there was a choice for me. And when I was in fifth grade, I started to go to church. I can't tell you why. There was this little Baptist church down the street. I got, started going there. The only explanation I have is the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Just to, I, I woke up one Sunday morning starting going to church. And um, I kept going to church. And when I was 12 years old um, at an Al-Anon meeting, I kept hearing all these things about how great the chances were that I would repeat uh, what was handed down to me, that I would also become an alcoholic. And I kept thinking when I was in church one day, and I heard about the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God in my life. And I started thinking, well, now, why do I have to become a holy, uh, an alcoholic when I have the Lord in my life? And so when I was 13 and I gave my life to Christ, the first decision I made was, I'm going to choose not to be an alcoholic. That's going to be the first choice that I'm going to make. So alcohol will never touch my lips in my entire life. And so I made that choice, and to this day, I've never wavered from that choice. See, we can choose other paths than the one that we were given. I used to look at families like Debbie's when I was in the youth group, and I used to think, you know, does God not love me as much as he loves kids like that? To give her a family like the one she has and to give me a family like the one I've got, maybe he doesn't love me as much. Maybe he doesn't care for me as much. But the first time that I had the opportunity to minister to a kid who had an alcoholic father, and the reason I got to minister to him was because I lived his experience was the day I became grateful for my childhood. And the first day I said, I wouldn't change a thing. What I learned that day was God never wastes a pain. He never wastes anything that we go through. Everything we go through is for His glory and our good. And so what I realized that day was, God gave Debbie her family because He needed to bless her through her family. He gave me my family because He needed to bless my family through me. He appointed me as a missionary to that family. And he needed me to make the choices he was calling me to make so that he could reach my family through those choices.
1: So the choices that you make, whether you are single or married, whether you're old or young, grandparent, a a widow, a teenager, a young single person, the choices that you make every day in the way that you speak to one another, the way that you handle everyday kind of circumstances, that is what's going to determine whether you pass on baggage or blessings to the next people in your life. I mean... What do you want to hand down? Do you want to hand down baggage that people have to deal with for generations still? Or do you want to hand down blessings that change the trajectory of your family, that change things so that they can build from it and have a stronger family someday? It's a choice that we make.
0: Yeah, baggage that they have to get over or blessings that they can stand on, that they can build on. Uh, one of the biggest questions that people ask us when we're in a, a different uh, community, a different city, is the radio stations or newspaper will ask us, what's the difference between a strong family and a struggling family, or a strong marriage, a struggling marriage? And we tell them it's the same thing between a strong life and a struggling life. It's the choices they make. Strong families make decisions that say, okay, what decision do I need to make in this moment that will have the best long-term impact? What do I need to to decide in this moment in the context of eternity? The struggling families, the struggling marriages, the struggling person just doesn't even think about eternity. They don't think about the long term. They just say, what's the easiest choice in the moment? And typically the easiest choices are the ones that have a negative impact for the long term. The struggling families make the choices that tear their family apart. Strong families make the choices that bring their families together. You know, in the book of uh, Deuteronomy in chapter 30, verse 19, it says it this way, Today I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, so that you and your children may live, so that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to His voice. Hold fast to Him, for the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are choices. And notice God lays them out for us. He doesn't say, I'm going to tell you what you have to choose and make you choose them. He just says, I'm laying them out before you, but it's going to be your choice. Because this is going to be your legacy. This will be your story that people will talk about that they pass it down. It can either be your story or it can be my story. I don't know about you, but I want my life to be about God's story, not mine. If it's about God's story in me, it's going to be all about blessings that people inherit from me. If it's my story, it's going to be all about the curses. If it's his story, it's going to be life that I live for him. If it's my story, it's going to be about death because I chose nothing but stuff that I wanted from me. I think one of the biggest mistakes that people make is they think, okay, well, here's what I'm going to do. I want to sow my wild oats now while I'm young, and I'm going to wait to get committed once I have to. Once I get to an altar, then I'll make commitments. I'll I'll worry about the boring decisions later. Right now, I want to make the choices that are fun. That's an example of choices of a struggling life. Remember what Scripture says, we will reap what we sow. We sow. The majority of struggling marriages didn't start after the altar. The majority of struggling marriages started in choices made long before the altar. That's what we talked about with the youth last night. And that we said, listen guys, what makes youth, uh, teenage life so hard is, it's boot camp for your own family someday. Because your relationships that you have today with your parents and your brothers and sisters, those are where you're learning the skills for your own marriage and your own kids someday. And so that's the reason God says, honor your mother and father. And this is the first commandment that ends with the promise. If you do, all will go well with you and you'll have a long and happy life. That means all will go well with you in your own marriage and your own family someday. Because you gain the skills you need now. So when you make the choices in boot camp in your own family now, it pays off in your future family someday. Kids get to college and they get in their young 20s and they think, man, I'm just going to sow my wild oats. I'm just going to make just the fun choices now. Because I don't have to worry about being tied down. I don't have to worry about family life, marriage life someday. And that's the biggest mistake they make. Because they set up habits, life habits, during those years. And they sow things during those years. And they reap a harvest of curses. And a harvest of destruction that carries long into their marriage and in their family life. So when we say talking about choices and thinking about the long-term consequences, we think, say thinking about marriage and family, it applies to all of us. So thinking about your own family, we say that regardless of your age right now. When we talk about reconciling relationships and forgiving each other, we're not just talking about moms and dads, grandparents. We're talking about brothers and sisters parents to kids, kids to parents, certainly husbands to wives because you are the leaders and the examples to the rest of the family. And moms and dads, as your kids watch you and the choices that you make and your arguments and the ways you treat each other, let me ask you this. Do you teach them more about how to carry a cross for somebody or about how to nail somebody to a cross? In your family, do you make choices about how to have a right relationship or are your choices more about how to be right? Because you can't always have both. I mean, divorce scores will be filled across the country, and people proving that they're right and they'll sacrifice the right relationship to do it. So they'll end up wrong and their kids will pay that price. See, we got churches that are struggling because we have families that are struggling. And people act like it's no big deal. The reason Debbie and I do what we do is because we're just tired of watching kids pay this price. We're just not willing to stand by and act like this is okay. I will not watch another child go through the heartbreak of their parents splitting up and that kid having to be the one to manage the emotions of the parents. I mean, I've got a kid in my office that we're working with each week right now. We meet with her on a weekly basis. She's carrying the, the weight of saying, I don't want to have to say these things to my parents because it's going to hurt mom's feelings or it's going to make dad mad. Why is it her responsibility to manage the emotions of those parents? But that's what we've done to our children because of the choices that we've made. This isn't okay, but that's what happens when families fall apart. Kids pay the price. But we act as though we're, we're raising the country on the Titanic And it's halfway underwater and nobody has yet sounded the alarm. So we say this to everybody in this room, guys. This family thing is up to all of us to save it. So when we go home today, God's going to call each one of us to choices. To treat your brother and sister as though Christ is right there in the room watching you, denying yourself, saying no to what you want to say to them. Taking up your cross sacrificing, treating them in the way that says Christ died for this one being written on their forehead, because Christ died for your brother and your sister. Moms and dads, showing your kids what the ministry of reconciliation looks like. Jesus being the Prince of Peace, being shown to be true in your family, because the world is watching And God has given us the responsibility to show that his words are true. Otherwise, we're playing games and it's just an image. And the world has gotten to the point where it is revolted by our image. I mean, it literally has gotten to the point where it just pukes when it sees Christians playing the game of the image. And God's been doing that for centuries. He pukes when he sees his children playing the game of the image. So the world's doing nothing different than our God does. Ultimately, it comes down to this. This one choice. Surrender. In your marriage, in your relationships, needing forgiveness, in your relationship with your parents, with your kids, grandparent, in a relationship with a grown child that maybe has broken your heart, as an adult with a parent that years ago did something horrible that has caused you pain for years and you've never been able to walk away from it, And maybe they still don't know what they've done to you. Maybe they will never understand what they've done to you. There is no other answer but surrender to the Lord and allow Him to heal the things that you cannot fix. There's no answer to anything else that we do other than surrender. To pursue Him with all of our heart in an authentic walk. When we do that in our homes... Here's the great thing, guys. It's great. We've said this all morning. It is great that we're here in God's house, in what we call God's house. But it's meaningless to him if what we learn here doesn't go home and transform our homes into becoming God's house as well. Because ultimately, that's what he wants. He wants people to come to our home and say, God dwells here. Because he sees it in our home and our family. God's magnified when that happens. Scripture says his love is made complete when that occurs. And the great thing is that our choice to surrender to him and to pursue him is made so much easier because God has chosen to pursue us first before we even pursue him. So his Holy Spirit's pursuing us even before we make the choice to pursue him. Allowing us, giving us the strength and the courage to make the choices God's called us to make. It comes down to this. We can choose life, or we can choose death. We can tear each other down, speak hell into our marriages and our families, or we can speak heaven and life and blessings. We can choose authenticity, genuine discipleship, or we can choose an image and play in Sunday morning dress-up. A son uh, saw me packing for this weekend, and he said, Oh, you're wearing that. He's 16. He doesn't like most of what I pick to wear. But it's more than that. See, our kids know stuff about us nobody else knows. They know what our life is like. The people who spend entire Sunday morning have no idea about. See, our kids know what our life is like behind our image. They know stuff nobody else had any idea about. See, they know what our life is like behind our image. They know what relationships are hanging on by a thread. They know what empty holes lie behind all those bold proclamations that we make. They know what commitments are tattered and torn and shredded in our life. And other people around us at church, Sunday in, Sunday out, have no idea about. Because they got fooled by our image. But our kids watch us Sunday after Sunday, play Sunday morning dress up, cover it all up with our image, go to church and say, this is my life, this is my marriage, this is our family. Aren't you impressed? And people are. Our kids are going home, and they know they're going to have to live with this. And is it any wonder why they're hurting so? Let's pray.